believe Christians will be judged. At some time in our life, probably all of us have prayed or led someone, our children or grandchildren, in praying. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I have good news. If you ever prayed that prayer, he does. He really does. He keeps us. He holds us. We're his. Once we come to know the Lord, we are his. But there is coming a day for us as believers that though we are his, that we will stand before him and that as believers, we will experience a future judgment. Now, there's a lot of confusion about judgment in in the Bible, but what we find here as we look at Scripture is that there is coming a time when we as believers will be judged. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and pick up in verse number 11. For no one can lay a foundation, any other foundation, than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. With that, let's pray together. And Lord, thank you for the truth of your word And God, I pray that uh, you would speak to us today, challenge and motivate us and encourage us as, as believers to be all that we can be while we have this time here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. I've heard many different thoughts about people that, that people have shared about what judgment is going to look like for believers. I've heard some people say things like, you know, when we get to heaven, God's going to put everything up on the big screen for everybody to see, and you're going to be standing there, and you're going to be judged. No, not for believers, not for us. Then I hear things like, well, you know what, if... if If I'm a believer and Jesus died on the cross for my sin, then I can just live how I want. Jesus has died for me, and now I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. I can live, I can divulge in the flesh and do how, and live however I want. And I would say, if any of you think that, you may have to examine if Jesus is even really in your heart or not, in your life. As believers, we recognize that there are three judgments that we face. 
as believers, we face a past judgment. We have a past judgment, and this judgment took place when Jesus died on the cross. This was our judgment as sinners. As believers, we are judged in the past as sinners. Now, when we think about this judgment, this judgment, for those of us who know Jesus, has already taken place. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it tells us that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That Jesus paid the penalty. That he took our judgment. And Romans 8, 1 then says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So our past judgment as sinners was taken care of when we received Jesus because he went to the cross for us. But there's also a present judgment that we as believers face. And our present judgment is as sons and daughters. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number 6, it tells us that the Lord chastens those that he loves and he scourges every son he receives. This is an ongoing judgment. This is discipline that God brings into our life. When we sin and we are out of line, God can bring conviction. Sometimes he can bring infliction and sometimes he brings affliction so that our heart will be turned back to him and we will get back on the road that he desires for us. God does not do this because he's mad at us. It says that those whom he loves, he chastens. He disciplines. Those of us who are parents, we didn't discipline our children because we hated them. No, we disciplined our children because we loved them and we wanted to protect them. This is a present judgment. But there is also a future judgment for those of us who are believers. And this future judgment is our judgment as servants. This is our judgment as servants. And this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10, it tells us that, that each one of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In Romans 14, 12, it says that each one of us must give an account of himself to God. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, It says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we, uh, each one of us, that we, we may receive the things done in the flesh according to what we have done, whether good or bad. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment here is not a judgment of our eternal destiny. That has already taken place through salvation. Jesus has died on the cross for us. This is not a judgment of our salvation. This instead is a judgment of a, of our service. This is not a, a judgment of condemnation, but listen, this is a judgment of compensation. That God has rewards for those of us who have lived a life that has served and pleased him. There is coming a day when the Lord is going to bring reward for those who have worked for him. Now, when we begin to think about that, we begin to recognize God sees what we do, but God also sees how we do it, and God furthermore sees why we do it. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is preaching, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and as Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, 
There are some people who like to give and they blow trumpets and they do it obviously. They give to the poor and they put on a show. You know what the Lord says? They have their reward. Their reward's being seen by some people. And there are people who pray, and they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets so that they may be seen of men. And the Lord says, they have their reward. That's it. The applause of a few guys who think that they're pious. And then he says, and then there are those who fast, and they disfigure themselves, and they walk around uh, telling everybody how hungry they are and, and how, uh, how, how hard it is to fast. And the Lord says, they have their reward. Instead, he looks at not just what we do, but he looks at how we do it, and he looks at why we do it. He looks at our service, and he says, oh, yeah, you're serving? How are you serving? Why are you serving? And the Lord will reveal with fire our works. Now notice the different comparisons that he gives as we, we picture this. At the judgment, when our works are revealed, he says that we are either going to be, we're going to be tested by fire and we have either built with wood, hay, and straw. Those things that will be consumed in the fire. Those things are gone. The things that we did to please others or to put on a show before others, it's like, hey, you're working for the Lord, but you're building with wood, hay, and stubble, and the Lord by fire is going to reveal what's going on in your life. Or you build with gold and silver and precious or costly stones. These are things that have already been through the fire. These are the things that are purified. So the Lord looks at our life as believers and he wants to look at our works. Now, we, we recognize very clearly that when we talk about works, works will never get us to heaven. Works will never get us to heaven. We can't do enough and we won't do enough to ever deserve heaven on our own. But our works do follow us to heaven. Do you remember again in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount? He says... Don't store up for yourselves things on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But he says, instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It gives the picture that through our giving and through our serving, we can store up a reward in heaven. So as believers, we are going to face a future judgment, not based on our salvation, but on our service. And at the judgment seat, we're going to find... As it shares there, our work will be revealed. It will be revealed by fire. Some people think, man, heaven's just going to be the same for everybody. Everybody's just going to stroll in and it's going to be wonderful. And yet what we find here in this passage is that there are rewards given that will differ. It's not like heaven just has participation trophies that, uh, you know, if you prayed to receive Jesus, then, then you're in. Instead, the picture here is, is that there are rewards that are given. Now, some of you are old enough to remember, I, I can't pull this off second hour, but I'll pull it off with you all. Maybell Carter and the Carter family singers, 
And in the 1960s, they sang a song, In the highways and the hedges, I'll be somewhere working for my Lord. And, and, and as we think about those who are out there in the highways and the hedges and working for the Lord, they are going to receive a reward in heaven. And if you're out just living for yourself, the Bible pictures that you're just, you're just throwing a life around that has wood, hay, and straw in it, and it is going to be consumed. So we find that our work is going to be revealed at this judgment. And what we did on earth after salvation is going to be recognized. So I have three questions in light of that as we think again of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice in verse number uh, 15 that it's going to be, our works are going to be tested by fire. We have to think, all right, how is God going to judge us? Well, first off, I think I have to ask this question. What did I do with the abilities that God gave me? What did I do with the abilities God gave me? This involves my natural talents or my my natural abilities, but I think it also involves my supernatural gifting. In Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we find lists of gifts. In Romans 12, it talks about prophecy and serving and leadership and exhortation and showing mercy, just to to mention a few. All of us at the point of salvation are given a spiritual gift. Some of us along the way have some natural talent that goes along with that as well. Some of you, it may not be a supernatural gift, but you just have a mechanical ability in your mind that God has hardwired into your DNA, and he has given you these abilities, and he's given you these supernatural gifts, and now what are you doing with what God has given you? Since God has given you natural abilities and supernatural gifts, how are you using them to further his kingdom, to invest in the lives of others, not just to work for myself, but to do something that matters for eternity. My work is going to be revealed on that day, so I have to look and say, what did I do with the abilities that God gave me? Secondly, what did I do with the resources God gave me? What did I do with the resources that God gave me? The resources, we think about the physical blessings of our life. What did we do with our physical and material resources? Did we invest in kingdom work? Did we, did we move forward and, and help to reach out to those that were poor and, and needy with a desire to ultimately share the message of the gospel of Jesus? What did I do with my resources? Now, I, I know what some people think as soon as you start talking about money. If I would, if, if the Lord would just allow me to win Publishers Clearinghouse, then, then I will give, I will give a lot. If I can be guaranteed $5,000 a week for the rest of my life, man, I would be happy to give. Can I tell you? God's not interested in what you don't have. And we don't have to go to hypotheticals. Are you being a good steward of what you do? 1 Corinthians 3, the passage we're looking at, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse number 2, it tells us that those of us who are stewards, our managers, we need to be found faithful. 
What did I do with the resources God gave me? And not just the financial resources. You know what everyone thinks of your most precious resource right now in our busy world is, right? It's our time. It's our time. Sometimes it's a lot easier just to write a check than to give of ourself and our energy and our time. What did I do with my time? Was I a good steward of the resources that God gave me? And then third question is, what did I do with the opportunities that God gave me? What did I do with the opportunities that God gave me? Some of you may have the opportunity to, to serve in, in an obscure area of ministry that no one knows. Maybe God gives you the opportunity to preach to thousands. What did I do with the opportunities that God gave me? And let me just say this very quickly that, you know, when it gets to heaven, it's not like there's going to be, you know, uh, a gold, a silver, and bronze medalist. And God's going to say, well, you didn't preach to as many people as Billy Graham, so you know what? Uh, You just don't get as much as he does. That's not the case. The truth is, is God is not going to judge me against Billy Graham or against Charles Stanley. He's not going to say, buddy, you weren't as smart as Al Mohler at uh, Southern Seminary. Instead, he's going to say, what did you do with the abilities I gave you, with the resources I entrusted to you, and with the opportunities. When you look at the Southern Baptist Convention, do you realize if you put a church of 75 people, that 50% of the Southern Baptist Convention is larger, the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are larger than 75 people, and 50% of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are smaller than 75 people. Do you know what that means for us with 40 plus thousand churches? That we have 30,000 plus guys who are bivocational, who are out here working full-time somewhere and, and, you know, busting it through the week. And then on top of what they do at their secular work, they're, they're preaching and teaching on Sundays and Wednesdays. Do you think God's going to look at them and say, well, you didn't have as big a church as Adrian Rogers did? No. He's going to say, look, Did you use the abilities and opportunities and resources that I gave you? And so I have to ask, this is a great time for introspection. You know, we're in that that last few weeks as we make that mad dash toward Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then we start a new year. Maybe as you think about this year, you need to be asking, am I stewarding being a good manager of my abilities and my resources and my opportunities that the Lord has given me? Am I ready? If the Lord called me home today, would there have been things I thought, man, if I would have just done this for the Lord, if I would have just shared with this person for the Lord, and the Lord opened opportunities and he opened doors, at the judgment seat of Christ, our work will be revealed by fire. Our work will be revealed. But at the judgment seat of Christ, not only will our work be, be revealed, but our work will be, secondly, rewarded. Our work will be rewarded. Now, we look back at this text, and, and he says if anyone's work is, not, uh, is burned up, he's going to experience loss. He is. But if, if our, our work is not burned up, then what is going to happen? We each one are going to receive a reward. There's a reward coming. There's a reward coming. 
What a, what a precious promise. If you notice, if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're in verse number, number 8, if you can slide back up. It says, as, as they're comparing Paul and Apollos and saying, well, look how good this person is and look how good this person is. And, and, and Paul writes, now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Each one will receive his own reward. For many of us today, we sit in this comfortable building we enjoy the, the hearing the message of the gospel because someone has paid a price. Someone has made a sacrifice so that we would hear the message of the gospel. Someone did something somewhere. Someone taught those classes. Someone held us as a baby. Someone went to youth camp. And so as we think about our life here and now, it's each one is going to receive his own reward. These rewards will be given. And they will be given individually based on what we did with our abilities, our resources, and our opportunities. Our rewards will be given. But not only will our rewards be given, but our crowns will be received. Did you know that there are five crowns mentioned in Scripture? Five different crowns. Let me just name them real quick, and then we'll kind of go through and look at the verses pertaining to them. There are five crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. First, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, 25 through 27, there is a crown called the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown. Then as we look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 19, there's something called the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse number 8, there is a crown called the crown of righteousness, the crown of righteousness. Then in James chapter 1 in verse number 12, there is a crown called the crown of life, James 1, 12. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse number 4, there is what is called the crown of glory. All right? Now that you've written your crowns down, I was afraid you're going to be writing down names of crowns when I want to explain to you what the crowns are. So we're going to look at all We've named all five of them. Now let's jump in. First Corinthians chapter nine and verse number 25. It says, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. As we think about the incorruptible crown, to be an athlete, it takes discipline. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes uh, uh, this sense of, of pressing in and endurance and perseverance. And the Lord says, for those who have run a disciplined spiritual race, for those who have persevered, for those who have lived a disciplined life, there is coming an incorruptible crown. Now he says, the athletes, they do this for a perishable crown, for a corruptible crown, one that won't last very long, but we We run the race for Christ. We persevere. We endure. We train. We move forward so that we will receive an incorruptible crown. Then there's the crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 19. Paul, as he writes to this church, he says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting or crown of rejoicing in the presence of our Lord Jesus? Is it not you? What's he talking about? Paul had reached people for Jesus. This is often called the soul winner's crown. 
Winning people to Jesus is close to the heart of God. And for those who share the message of Jesus and are free to share the message of the gospel, there is a crown of rejoicing that is coming. Third crown is the crown of righteousness. And Paul mentions this as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and, and verse number 8. And he says this as we, as we think about first, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Paul uh, writing says, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. The crown of righteousness is a crown given to those who love and long for Jesus and his presence and to see him. Now, there is an implication with that. When I was a little boy, my dad was a, a lineman, and when he would come around the corner uh, on our street in his old Dodge pickup truck, and he would pull into the front yard, me and my brothers would be playing basketball in the backyard. Without fail, I mean, we'd put the basketball down, and we'd run up to the front yard, and as soon as my dad opened the door, we were there. We, long, we loved for him to be home. Except on the rare occasion when we were in trouble. You hear what I'm saying? On that rare occasion when I got in trouble, those were days I was not longing for my dad to get home. Here, the picture and the implication is, is that those who are longing for Jesus and to see Jesus, those are the ones who, who are excited and they're running the race and they're experiencing the pressure of life and yet they're persevering and they are longing to see Jesus. And they will receive the crown of righteousness. And then in James chapter 1, he mentions the crown of life. He says in James 1, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which God has given to those who love him. As we think about this crown of life, those who have endured in love. They have endured the trials and temptations of life. And then the crown of glory. This is often called the pastor's crown or a shepherd's crown. I do believe that, that those who pastor well will get this. Whether you're a vocational pastor or not, those who have shepherded a Bible study well, those who have shepherded a group of people well. He says when you shepherd well, there's coming a special crown. He says in First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The crown of glory is a pastor's crown, a shepherd's crown to those who have pastored, shepherded a group of people well. I'm thankful he doesn't say, you know, uh, you have to do it perfectly. Because none of us are perfect. Matter of fact, as we look at these crowns, we recognize that all of us have stumbled and fell at times. And some people think, well, I mean, let, let's just face it. If we, we shouldn't work for rewards. We should just work because we love Jesus. Well, 
you're right. We should work because we love Jesus. And he motivates us a little more and says, not only are you going to love me, but when you run a a life well lived, and when you serve in a life well served, you're not only showing your love for me, but you're showing that you pleased me. And I am going to give you a crown. Oh, man. Now we start thinking in our American mindset. Oh, now there's going to be, you know, the one crown, the two crown, the five crown person. Where am I going to be? And, and what about this crown? And, and, and what about people recognizing me? <laughs> you know what? These crowns just aren't really even about us. It's not we're going to go around in heaven wearing crowns and saying, man, you must be a great person. Because in Revelation chapter 4, in verse number 10, it gives the beautiful picture of the 24 elders, I think a picture of the church, and they cast their crowns before the throne. As we think about these crowns, In 1978, Gordon Jensen, who used to write church choir music, if you uh, sang in the choir in the 70s and 80s, he wrote a song, We'll cast our crowns at his nail-scarred feet. What joy complete in his presence sweet. Eternity's greatest privilege will be casting our crowns. At his feet. To hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. Here are your crowns. And then to take those crowns and to cast them back and say, Lord, we want to cast these crowns at your nail scarred feet. Eternity's greatest privilege will be casting our crowns at his feet. Our works will be revealed. Our works will be rewarded. But thirdly, as we think about this passage, our works or lack of works will also be regretted. Paul has a very sobering thought here. As he concludes this section in dealing with The rewards, he says in verse number 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only through fire. He will experience loss. I want you to picture Just use your creative imagination with me just for a minute. And we picture a young man who truly comes to know Jesus as his Savior, maybe in older elementary school or in middle school or high school, and he is sold out and living for Jesus. But then along the way, he just decides, you know, man, I I don't want to live for Jesus anymore. I just want to do my own thing. And he sets out on his course, and and there out on his course, he uh, goes through college, kind of living life, doing his own thing. He 
he, he gets married, he has some kids, he works real hard, he joins what is called the, quote, fire movement to retire early. And by his mid-30s, he's ready to retire and uh, having accumulated millions of dollars and thinking, I'm going to spend the rest of my life taking it easy. He buys a large mobile home and he decides, we're just going to go out and travel. He empties out his bank account in cash because he wants to have everything with him. He takes all of his money, he puts it in the bottom storage of his new mobile home. He packs up his wife and his kids and they say, man, we're setting out for Colorado and California and the Grand Canyon and we're going to go up and we're going to go down and we're just going to do what we want and live how we want and be what we want. And then going across Kansas, a spark ignites as he's driving. And as the spark ignites, in just a matter of moments, the mobile home is surrounded in flames. By the time he gets to the side of the road, his family is deceased. His money is burned up. Everything that he has is gone. When the fire department shows up, is he going to say, glad I made it. Man, I'm sure glad I made it. No. If he has any heart, he's going to think, my wife, my kids, everything I've had, it's burned up. It's gone. I don't fully know what 1 Corinthians 3.15 means when it says that we will suffer loss. But there is a truth to this. That the Lord says when our work is tested by fire, if we have invested only in the here and now, only with wood, hay, and straw, at that moment, we will suffer loss. Could that be the reason that Revelation 21.4 tells us that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes? Something to think about in your life. I don't know about you, but in the highways and the hedges, I want to be somewhere working for my Lord. And that last verse says, and when he calls me, he will find me, or I will answer. When he calls me, I will answer. And when he calls me, I will answer. I'll be somewhere working for my Lord. And I pray that's my testimony. I pray it's your testimony that when we have our works revealed by fire at the judgment seat, that we'll hear, well done. With that, let's pray. As we pray, can I tell you, it's easy. It's easy just to hear another message. I want to ask you, what are you doing with the abilities God's given you to make a difference for eternity? What are you doing with the resources God has given you to make a difference for eternity? What are you doing with the opportunities God has given you to make a difference for eternity? 
He says, I have rewards. Follow me. Serve me. And the picture is you'll never regret it. But for those who spend their, quote, Christian life living for self, this does tell us they will suffer loss. Lord, I pray that you would take these next moments of invitation. God, that you would speak in your glorious name. Amen.